Hello, this is A.R. Bernard, and welcome to my podcast. My objective, it's simple, to create a platform where you can be educated, informed, and inspired as you navigate the intersection of faith and culture. If you have no faith, maybe you'll find it here. So, thanks for tuning in. I'm in teaching mode. I hope you got your notebooks, your, your, your laptop, your device, whatever it is that you take notes on. All right, so we can get into uh, study of the Word. Keep us in your prayers. I was scheduled to travel to Italy this week. I was scheduled to leave this evening. But things at home demand my time. And I mean here in New York, here in the United States. Um, our And thank you for your prayers. Let me give you a little bit of an up- update. As we move our development project forward this past week, I had two three-hour meetings where we sat before the community board to go through presenting our project again in its last iteration. And I will say that the meeting was favorable, and we're waiting for their official approval. And that was Tuesday. Then Thursday, we sat before the borough president and the land use committee and uh, soliciting their approval. And I want to thank all of our CCC members who came out to support us and to testify on our behalf. So thank you as we work through this together. And the next major uh, thing that we'll be facing is when we actually go before the city council and I'll be giving you more information about that. And I'll be inviting you to join us. All of y'all. So there won't be room enough to receive us. Praise the Lord. But um, yeah, as we move forward with this project. Uh, so we're very excited about that. Also, next uh, weekend... Um, Saturday, I'll be in Buffalo working with the White House to distribute backpacks. And we have two truckloads, two tractor trailers full of food that will be coming in to Buffalo that we'll be distributing over the weekend into Monday morning um, to really respond to the crisis created by the mass shooting that caused the only supermarket to shut down. Tops is reopening, um, but the reality is that there are issues of poverty, uh, broken systems that we're dealing with in our nation, in our state, but especially in the community of Buffalo. So please keep us in your prayers as we roll up our sleeves and do some kingdom stuff. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. So keep that in mind. Um, I think I did a, got all the housekeeping done. We welcome you. Thank you for being with us in person service. And those of you who are joining us online from across the nation, around the world, and like I say, across the street. <laughs> Glad to have you all with us. I'm going to wave after service when I leave the parking lot. I'll wave to you. There's, there's two things that I want to do here give the big picture and then dial down into the issue itself. You may or may not be aware that issues come up every now and then with regard to um, theological truth, doctrine, things that we believe, how we believe them. Christianity is quite broad and contains different perspectives on different doctrines and texts, interpretations of scripture as well. There is what is common to all of those who claim to be Christian, but then there are nuances expressed by different movements and denominations and emphasis, et cetera, et cetera. And there are times when some of that controversy comes up and has to be uh, addressed. So that is my intention this week, and it was my intention last week. 
Last week, I wanted to set some foundational thinking in your mind in preparation for what I'm going to share with you today. So recently, a well-known minister of the gospel who has a strong television presence uh, made comments about tithing and proceeded to um, repent about all that he taught in the past about tithing. How many of you were aware of this? Raise your hand high so I can see. All right, great, right. So again, you're, you're aware of it. And of course, that creates controversy because, you know, tithing is one of the ways that uh, the church is supported and the work of Jesus Christ is supported. And what it raised was the question as to whether tithing is under the law or under grace. And really, it's not even about law or grace. It's about, is it mandatory or optional? <laughs> Come on. Okay. When you start talking about, is it under the law or under grace? You're really saying, well, if it's under the law, it means I got to do it. If it's under grace, it's optional. You know, and it's unfortunate. And let me say this to you. It bothers me when people have to find a theological reason not to give to God. Just don't give. But don't try to frame it within some theological framework to justify and then try to recruit others into that same theological framework. That, to me, is disingenuous. So we will discuss this, this whole issue around the tithe, and what it means. And what I like about it is it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity to teach, to learn, to grow. Amen? Amen? So essentially, when you think about the tithe, which means tenth, and you ask the question, is it under law or grace? What you're really asking, is it an obligation or is it optional? Am I obligated to give 10% of my uh, increase, or is it optional? Uh, <laughs> boy, praise the Lord. Okay, so I'm going to follow the sequence here so that there is order to my thoughts. Let me, let me give a bigger picture, all right? Can we look at the big picture first? Is that all right? So let's, let's back up a bit, lay some foundation. Last week, I shared with you the purpose of the earth. I re-emphasize with you the purpose of the earth. And what is the purpose of the earth? Oh, I love you. I love you. All right, come on. It's... What is the purpose for the earth? I can't hear you. Human flourishing. The purpose of humanity, the purpose of family, the purpose of all that God put together and put in order here on this planet is summed up in two words for us. I can't talk for someone else, but for us, it's summed up in two words. And biblically, for the Bible, it is summed up in two words. What are those two words, church? Human flourishing, right? Human flourishing. We looked at the passage, 3 John, verse 2, and I was quoting it from the King James Version, and it says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you, can't hear you, that you what? Prosper, prosper right? That you prosper. prosper. And of course, I'm speaking materially. And be, come on, talk back to me, be in health, right? Even as your soul prospers. And this is very balanced statement, even as your soul prospers. So prosperity, which means material blessing, health, which is very critical, right? And undergirded, upheld by the prosperity of your soul. This is important, all right? Because when I get to teach you about the principle of acceleration, you'll 
understand the importance of the prosperity of the soul to uphold any success or prosperity that you experience materially and physically. Because your gift, talents, and abilities can take you to great heights that only your character can sustain. So you can take your gifts, your talents, and abilities, right? And be successful in life with them. But if your soul is not prospering, what's going to happen? You're going to reach heights that's not supported. And you're going to go down. So the development of your soul, your spiritual life, is critical to support all that you achieve in life. That makes sense to you? So human flourishing is based upon the prosperity of the soul. Because Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his righteous way of doing and being, and all these things will be what? Added to you. So it's not that God doesn't want you to prosper, and prosperity is relative. It, de it, de it depends on who your relatives are. Relative uh, in that it depends on your context, right? So prosperity doesn't necessarily mean you becoming a millionaire. It means being productive. It means your gift, talents, and abilities that God has put inside of you to reach their maximum level of productivity and to be a blessing through them to the rest of the world. So you have to know what prosperity means to you. It does not mean everybody's going to be a millionaire. That's not true. Not true. And, 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 and not necessary in every case, in every situation, where you find yourself. If God sends you out to a, a very uh, undeveloped country because he's called you to be a missionary there and to change lives there and to preach the kingdom of God, you're not busy trying to be a millionaire in that context. How many understand what I'm talking about? But you are trying to be as productive as possible in the use of your gifts, your talents, your abilities to be a blessing to others. And most importantly, to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Amen? So prosperity is, is, is relative. It depends on the context um, and, and can be quite personal. Health in your body is critical. So what's the purpose of the earth? Music to my ears. So the, the world was designed to constantly renew itself, just like the physical body it was designed to renew itself. So we have cells that die, and new cells are being produced, right? If you get a cut or something, what happens right away? The blood clots, right? And then new cells begin to replace the old cells that were damaged. It's said that our body was made to, to renew itself every seven years. It goes through a process of renewal. So renewal is a process of life. Renewal is a process of life. And then the scripture says that though our external man, the outward man, perish, the inward man, the soul, all right, the spirit of the individual, is being renewed day by day day. So not only physically, but spiritually, we're in constant renewal. The problem is with the entrance of sin and death, right? It, it, it disrupted that renewal process physically. We were designed to be what? Immortal, right? But we became mortal. Death entered. God is restoring that ultimately, bringing us back to the original intent that he had for humanity. So, human flourishing, human flourishing. And to flourish means to, to grow. It means to, to be productive. Amen? Amen? It means to develop in a healthy and vigorous way. 
especially having a favorable environment in which to grow. The environment is critical. The environment is critical. You want an environment that's favorable for growth. That does not mean that it's an environment without conflict. Because part of the way we grow is through crisis. Part of the way we grow is through crisis. Last week, they talked about the pruning, right? Every branch in me that bears fruit, I will what? Purge it. I will prune it. I will purify it. And all purification is by way of crisis. It moves us from the transient to the permanent, from the temporary, temporal to the eternal. It moves us from one level to another, from the lesser to the greater. Crisis makes demand on you that you would not necessarily make on yourself in order to respond to a situation. So for us, crisis is not a bad thing. Crisis is what? A good thing. A good thing. Oh, boy, it's like you hard. You <laughs> it was hard for you to get that out and say it. Crisis is not a bad thing, saint, Christian, overcomer. Whatsoever born of God overcomes the world, right? And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our what? Our faith. So crisis for us is not a negative. It is a positive. Crisis is not a negative for us. It's a positive because it forces you to grow. Einstein said you cannot solve a problem at the same level at which it was created. So problems force you to go to another level in order to create and solve the problem that you're in. Or should I say solve the problem that you're in? Right? Turn your neighbor and say, neighbor, crisis is good. <laughs> Pastor, you don't understand. <laughs> crisis is good for us. So as we, as we get into this whole thing about you know, the controversy around tithing, law, grace, obligation versus option. Let me, the big picture. Jesus said to Peter and his disciples, he says, on this rock, I will build my church. How many remember that in Matthew 16, 18? I will build my church. So Jesus is building something, right? In human society for the last 2,000 years. He's gathering people to follow him, to commit to him, to submit to his lordship, and begin to live their lives according to the kingdom of God. I will build my church. The word church means called out ones, an assembly of people from the world to follow him, to walk in fellowship with him, to surrender their lives to him and walk in fellowship with him. I'm going to say that again. To surrender their lives to him and walk in fellowship with him. I'm going to say that again. To surrender their lives to him and walk in fellowship with him. Did you all get that? This is what we're called to. We're called to surrender our lives to Jesus. He becomes Lord of our lives, right? And walk in fellowship with him. Our success, our prosperity, our joy, our happiness, everything else is a byproduct of walking in fellowship with him and living a surrendered life. You, you get that? That's why he said, all these things will be added to you. That means it's a byproduct. So we don't have to pursue these things. We attract them by the persons we become by walking in fellowship with Jesus. You cannot walk in fellowship with Jesus and not be changed. It affects your mind, the way you think. It affects your motivations. It affects your desires. It affects your emotions. It affects you physically in every way. Living a life surrendered to his lordship and walking in fellowship with him changes who you are as a person. How many have experienced that change? Amen. Amen. So all the other stuff is a byproduct. Success, 
prosperity, all of that is a byproduct of surrendering to his lordship and walking in fellowship with him. Hallelujah. So you begin to be shaped and influenced in a way that attracts the things that others are chasing behind. He said the Gentiles are seeking these things. What are they going to eat? What are they going to wear? You know, their health. They're concerned about all of that. And I, that's a genuine concern. And in fact, Jesus said, your heavenly father knows you have need of these things. So there's some things that are not desired. They're needs. And he understands that. But what he's trying to do is get us to line up with him. And all of these things will be byproducts. They'll come to our lives. So he said, I will build my church. But then he says, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Which means that he's going to build in an environment that will be antithetical and antagonistic to what he's trying to do. There's going to be resistance. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So there's going to be opposition to this church that Jesus is building. And there will be opposition to all of those who ally themselves with Jesus. That be you. That be us. Got it? It's not like the devil is going to sit by and say, go for it, Jesus. No. If you read in Revelation, he actually went after that church. And he's still after it right now. So Jesus is building a church, the kingdom of God, the lordship of Christ, active, the Holy Spirit, active at work in human society, but there will be resistance against it. He said to his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel, bring the good news. The world there in the Greek is cosmos, which means the social order, the social order. Enter the social order and speak to it the good news of the Lordship of Christ and the kingdom of God. You got that? Amen? In other words, influence the world. Influence it spiritually, morally, politically, socially, and economically. And that word politically does stand in there. How we do it, that's the question. Right? But he wants us to influence. So, if there's this entity called the church, which there is in the world that Jesus is building, and, he, and it, it is, this is his instrument in the world of his grace and his truth, and he states that there'll be resistance, but that resistance will not prevail. Did he say the gates of hell will not prevail? So this resistance will not prevail, but there will be resistance then the devil is, wants to make sure that this institution that Jesus is building to influence the world in a direction other than the way the devil would like to take it to, all right, he's going to resist that. How will he resist it? He will try his best to weaken the institution, to weaken its influence spiritually, to weaken its influence morally, to weaken its influence socially, to weaken its influence politically, to weaken its influence economically. Are you all hearing me? He's going to look to undermine this institution that is the carrier of God's grace and truth to transform society and offer them a way of salvation. So how's he going to do it? He's going to do it through scandal. And the church will experience and has experienced scandal over the last 2,000 years. Bringing its leaders into scandal, the church as a whole is scandal. And how many know that the church has been rocked with scandal throughout the last 2,000 years? In fact, for the last 20 years. How about the last two years? So if, 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 if the devil can bring scandal to the church, he weakens its moral influence. 
Because people are not going to point to all the wonderful things that the church has done and all the people who have not been in scandal. The world is going to point to the scandalous. They're going to point to the scandals. Come on, are you with it? So if there's 10 people who have, leaders who have done well and led life and leadership in the church without scandal and one gets into scandal, what is the world going to point to? Because what's the objective of the devil? To weaken the church's influence. Spiritually, morally. So the devil will use scandal. Right? And, then, and, and you know, the newspapers, the media, they love scandal. The moment one of us leaders do something wrong. <sighs> and now it, it's, it's on social media and it goes around the world in seconds. And then it's memorialized for replay. And it's played over and over and over again. In fact, it's celebrated for how many views? So it's memorialized. Scandal. To weaken the church's moral influence. Amen? Infighting. Infighting. Within the institution itself. Doctrinal confusion. Where you have the church at odds within itself over certain doctrinal issues. We've gone through this. I mean, major was the Reformation and then all of the things that came out of that and, 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 and the branches that branched out of that and, and, and then people choosing sides. No, you got to baptize in this name. No, you got to baptize in those three. You got... No, it's the Sabbath day. No. How many understand what I'm talking about here? And I can go on and on and on and on. And we've seen it. We've seen it. Scandal, infighting, doctrinal confusion, compromise. Compromise. I don't need to get into it. I'm not going to get into all of this. Political idolatry. Where politics takes the place of God. And we worship political parties instead of God. Are y'all with me? And we are to exert political influence, but not to commit political idolatry. And I will tell you, we've seen it in the last five years in our nation. It's not the first time, but it's been very pronounced. I will tell you, as I sit back, I said, I've never seen such collective denial of the obvious. Never seen it. Assimilation. Into the culture without distinction from the culture. Being in the world but not of it. Instead, we're in and of it. Economic disempowerment. And this is where... We create controversies around how the church is supported. Are you with me? Yeah. So, look, human nature is this. You give people options, they're going to opt out. When it comes to money, if you give people options, they're going to opt out. Come on. If the insurance package is too expensive, I'll opt out. So I'm not surprised that the devil from time to time will try to disrupt how the church is resourced in order to do its work. Because like any other organization, the church needs money to function. Needs money to function. So if that can be disrupted, if that can be weakened, it weakens the church's influence. It weakens the church's power within the society. So I'm looking at the bigger picture at what's at stake here and what happens, especially in a society that's already critical of the church. So when I see all of these doctrinal confusions that are created because someone decides that <laughs> they're going to go in another direction, you know, I got a problem with this, especially as a leader. 
Because Jesus said something. He, he gave a parable about, about wheat and tear. How many, re- how many re- read that parable? Right? So, in Matthew 13, the wheat and the tear, right? The good seed is the wheat. Bad seed is the tear. The devil sowed the tear, and the Son of Man sowed the wheat. So what do the angels come, and when they see this, right, and they see the weeds growing next to the wheat, they have a very practical solution. Let's pull up the weeds. Let's, get, let's weed this garden. Get it out of here. That's the prophetic, because the prophetic says, this is the truth, this is the situation, let's deal with it. But the pastoral looks beyond that. And the pastoral says, wait a minute. If we pull up the weeds, at the same time, we may end up pulling up the wheat. So we better let them grow together. In other words, whenever you, especially as a leader with a voice, think of responding to something because of what's going on in your own personal world and life, you've got to think about the impact that it's going to have on everybody. So when you de-weed your own life, it doesn't mean that you don't have to de-weed the rest of the world. Balance is the key to life. Amen? Amen? So with that being said, let's go to the text. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. I'm reading from the New King James Bible, or version, translation. Malachi 3, 8. A text that we've known, Elder Pointer referred a little bit to it. Um, and it says, Old Testament, Right? And it says, will a man rob God? Are you there? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me, but you say, in what way have you, we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. Well, you're not just cursed. You're cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Bring what? All right. You've robbed me with what? Tithes and offering. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. So the tithes and offerings are to support the house of God and the work of God. And try me now, and it's with a promise that if you engage in it, you're going to be blessed. It's not just a blanket law. Or obligation. There's a promise associated with it. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. And I like that. Can you imagine if he opened the door? If we can't handle a window... If there won't be room enough to receive him opening a window to us, (laughs) I'll open for you the windows of heaven and pour you out, pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. There's more to the promise. And I will rebuke the devourer, what comes to steal your blessing. For your sake. So that he will not destroy your productivity, the fruit of your ground. Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I don't know about you, but I like promises like that, boy. So if I invest, this is the return on my investment, I'm going to get your increase and your protection. Now, there'll be those who say, well, that's for the nation of Israel. I'm glad you said that because you just gave me an opportunity. So The idea is that tithing is not under the New Testament covenant of grace. 
It's under the Old Testament covenant of the law. Well, Jesus spoke about tithing. And when he spoke about it in, and I shared with you last week, Matthew 23, 23, he affirmed the tithe. He didn't nullify it. He affirmed it. It's like the issue of the Sabbath. He clarified the Sabbath. He said the Sabbath was, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. In other words, it is not a legalistic day to be worshipped. It is a principle to be practiced. So there is, there is something called hermeneutics. How many of you were in the spiritual warfare class? Let me see your hands. Uh, spiritual warfare students. Okay, good. There is something called hermeneutics. You're familiar with the word? Those of you who are in the class, familiar with the word, hermeneutic. It is simply the principles of interpretation, how you interpret something. That's very important. There's not just biblical hermeneutic, but historical hermeneutic. Hermeneutic is how you interpret whatever it is that you're trying to interpret. But we're talking about biblical hermeneutics. Principles of interpretation. And we need laws. We need rules that guide us. Amen? Amen. We live in a universe of law governed by a system of order. So we need rules when we're interpreting Scripture. Otherwise, we can just take something out of context and run with it. We can put two verses together and come up with a whole idea and then preach it, pra preach it to practice it. Like here, here's, one, here's a verse, right? And Judas left and hung himself. Here's another verse. Go thou and do likewise. <laughs> I'm going to put those two together. I'll have you drinking Kool-Aid. There are principles. There are guiding principles when it comes to biblical interpretation. Because there is what the text says and what the text means. And what the text means is not always obvious. We have to dig deeper. Amen? How many of you from spiritual warfare class remember this? How many remember Pataxlip? How many of you remember that from spiritual warfare class? Raise your hand. Let me see if you were paying attention in class. All right, half of you. I put together a simple framework when it comes to biblical interpretation. How do you interpret the Bible? It begins with, you first have to understand the purpose of the whole Bible. Right? The purpose of that book. The purpose of that chapter. So you break it down. Purpose is critical. Because if you don't understand the purpose of a thing, you're going to abuse it. Amen? Amen? The theme. What's the theme? What is the constant message that's seeking to be communicated? The theme. Audience. Who's the audience? Who's it addressing? Who's being spoken to? Context. What's the context? The context is important because you just can't, you know, how many times you hear this, uh, well, this is what you said. Yeah, but you took it out of context, which means you extracted it from its surroundings, which is important to understand what I meant by what I said. So purpose, theme, audience, context, language. The prejudices that we bring. Supportive texts. So if you have one thing, right, that a text says in terms of a subject, you've got to find other texts, other scriptures to support that. You can't just have one by itself and then you're going to build a whole doctrine or an ideology around one verse. So all of these things are important. You need a framework. If you're going to interpret the scripture, 
you're going to read the text, you've got to think about all of this to guide you in coming up with your interpretation, how you understand that. That's why when the, the man came to Jesus and he said, good master, and he came to trick Jesus, actually. He said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments. But then Jesus asked him, how do you read it? What was Jesus getting to? What's your interpretation? Because you can have 10 people read the same verse of Scripture and walk away with 10 different conclusions. There's got to be a guideline. Amen? There's got to be principles. So this is what I shared in the Invisible War class to help understand. When you're looking at a text, you want to make sure that you're applying these principles. That makes sense? Amen? Amen? So there are two things that come into play here with this whole tithing thing. There's another principle In fact, let me read a wonderful passage of Scripture here. And this is so important. Yeah, we'll go to that verse. But it's called the law of, oops, I'm sorry. It's a principle. And everything that God does <laughs> that was on a blackboard. Everything that God does, he does according to a pattern and based on a principle. A principle is a broad and basic truth. So there's something called the law of first mention. Very important. Because when you're trying to figure out what something means, and there's controversy around it, what do you do? You go to the first place in the Bible that the doctrine or the idea or the word is used. Got it? What's it called? That was weak. What's it called? And you come, you come to church to learn, right? Amen. What's it called? And what does that mean? It simply means when you're trying to figure out the meaning of something, interpret something, you go to the first place that word is used or that theme is used, expressed. You go to the first place in the Bible where you find it. You go to the place, first place that it's revealed. Just write that down. It's called the law of first mention. In order to understand a particular word or doctrine, we must find the place in Scripture that that word or doctrine is revealed and then study that passage. Find where it's first mentioned and then study the passage. Unpack it. Spend time there. And here's the reasoning behind this, all right? That the reasoning is that the Bible's first mention of a concept is the simplest and clearest presentation of that concept or that word. It becomes a foundation for us to understand the word or the text or the doctrine or the idea. Let me just uh, make a note here. What's it called? So to fully understand any important and complex theological concept in the Bible, all right, and we're students of the Word, right? Where do we go? We find what? Where is it first mentioned in Scripture? Got it? And the first mention of tithe in Scripture is with Abraham. It is found in Genesis chapter 14, verses 17 through 20. You want to go there? All right, we will go there. Genesis chapter 14, verse 17 is where we'll begin. 
And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh. That is the king's valley. Meet who? Abraham. After his return from the defeat of Chedleomer. That is a, that, all right. So understand, Abraham was at war, right? He had, he, he had troops. He was at war. He was victorious. This is the context. He was victorious. To def- the, uh, after his return from the defeat of Chedleomer and the kings who were with him. Then Melchizedek, how many have heard of him? King of Salem, or king of righteousness, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God most high. And he blessed him, Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, not Abraham, but God, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abraham, gave him Melchizedek a what? A what? A what? Can't hear you. A what? A tithe of all. Now, we'll stop right there. It is mentioned again with Jacob. It's mentioned again in Malachi. All right. But it's first mentioned right here with Abraham. And what's going on? Abraham goes out to war. He's victorious. And when he comes back, all right, he has an encounter with this high priest named Melchizedek. And he brings him bread and wine. Does that sound like communion to you? And Abraham partakes of it. And then Abraham, to honor Melchizedek, right, he gives him a tithe or a tenth. A tenth of what he gained in war. And how do we know it's what he gained in war? Well, if you keep reading the king of Sodom, verse 21, the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the, the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will, I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich, except only what the young men have eaten in the portion of the men who sent, uh, went with me, all right? So Abraham is saying, you're not going to take the credit from God. God is the one who gave me victory. God is the one who increased me. God is the one who prospered me. And now I'm going to give back to him a tenth of all of my increase, a tenth of what I have prospered in. So the first mention The first mention of the tithe is in the context of war and conquest. And the one who has the victory is now giving an offering to his God to honor and respect his God. Now, that's the context. We have two things working here. Let's go back. Two things working here. Audience and context. Context, the ancient world. The audience, the ancient world. Right? This is important. So number one, the context is war, successful, victory, Abraham. And the audience is the ancient world. You cannot interpret that text based upon the modern world if the audience was the ancient world. Because audience means how did they understand the text? Not how do you understand it and going to try to apply it in 2022. What did it mean to them? So when they picked this up, when the Hebrews picked this up after Rose, after this was written and disseminated to them, right, which was about 1100 BC, when they picked it up and read it, what did it mean to them? They were in touch with the ancient world. They were in touch with ancient customs. And what Abraham did here had nothing to do with the law because the law of Moses didn't even come yet. This is a period preceding the law. 
And grace is not the issue here because the law came by Moses and then after that, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So the voice of grace is Jesus. The voice of the law is Moses. But we're talking about Abraham. And Abraham, although God's grace has continuously been manifested from the garden right up to, to, to now, all right, but what is Abraham associated with? Not grace or law. He's associated with one beautiful, powerful word through which he entered covenant with Yahweh and the world would be blessed. It wasn't about law or grace. Abraham was the father of faith. And because of his faith, he was blessed. And all nations of the world would be blessed through a seed that would come from him. So, you know, look, (laughs) not law or grace we're talking about here. You're trying to position this to determine whether it's an obligation or free will act or optional. Let's, Let's get the theology right first. The law first mentioned places it in the context of war and the spoils of war and the custom and tradition that was practiced by Mesopotamia, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Sumeria. Let me get my list. The Grecians, the Romans, the Cretans, the, Sil- the, the Sicilians, the Arabians, the Chinese, the Greeks, the Phoenicians. Did I mention the Romans? They all practiced it. Abraham was practicing what was common to the ancient world. And that is when you went out to war and you were victorious, you brought back the spoils of war. And the first thing you did was take something called, and it wasn't, we, we, the tithe means tenth, but in those days, it was called the sacred tenth. They took 10% of all that they gained in war and brought it to the temple as an offering to their deity in thanksgiving for their victory in war. Are you hearing me? This preceded the Jews preceded all of this other theological stuff that we've laid out. It was the practice of nations at that time. It was the practice of the ancient world. They understood because they wanted the protection of their deity. They wanted the victory of their deity. They wanted the provision of their deity. And how they maintained that is that they brought sacrificial offerings. You can go to the British Museum. You can, you, you can see because the cuneiform writings are now better interpreted. You can see it in the Dead Sea Scrolls. You can see it everywhere written where these traditions were practiced. Before the law of Moses. Before the doctrine of grace. It was a tradition. And Abraham was simply functioning in that tradition. So now we want to argue about where we pigeonhole it, where we place it. That's disingenuous. That's ridiculous. Are you with me? I can get into more of the history. Take a look. Research it. Fact check me. And have fun. I want you to. So that you can think correctly. Not because of something you heard on YouTube. But because you understand the principles that govern how you approach your life. Tithing is an act of faith. It's God offering a promise. That if you support his work, he will bless you. Now you can understand Proverbs 3, 9. When it says, honor the Lord with your substance and the first fruit of your increase. 
the language first fruit and substance goes back to the act that Abraham engaged in because as you were increased, you would give a portion of that in honor and thanksgiving to the God that you believed gave you that victory. Tithing is about honor to God. It's about recognizing his sovereignty over us and our stewardship responsibility with whatever he gives us. How many notice there's no Hertz, there's no U-Haul truck following a Hertz at a funeral? Because you can't take it with you. So essentially, we are possessors of nothing and stewards of everything. And our whole life, we gain things by God's goodness, right? But we never really own it. We simply are stewards over it until we die and then leave it behind. We're stewards over our time, talent, treasury, and relationships. And even... Your spouse is not yours. They're a stewardship responsibility. Your wife is your stewardship responsibility. Your husband is a stewardship responsibility. Your children are stewardship responsibility because we are possessors of nothing, stewards of everything. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. And although he owns it all, he has allowed us stewardship responsibility and will respond in blessing if we steward it correctly and show thanksgiving and appreciation for what he gives us. Tithing and offering is an act of honor, recognition of God's sovereignty and our stewardship responsibility. It's an act of thanksgiving. It's, it's, it's designed for freedom, to free us from fear and covetousness because people will not give out of fear. Doesn't, doesn't mean tithing and offering. They just won't give, they, they won't give anything to anybody for any reason. Turn your neighbor and say, I know somebody like that. They're afraid. And God is trying to break that fear to say, trust me and watch what I'll do for you. And it's an investment in the work of God and the kingdom of God. So we do it by faith, not by fear, not by law, not even by grace. We do it by faith. And faith is trust. That the one that we're trusting in will keep his promise. I got to stop here. Did you get anything out of that this morning? Come on, let's all, wait, 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 wait. I got to slip back into systems and structures. Our minister is going to now come <laughs> and address our audience here and out there in the digital world. Because if you don't have that relationship with Jesus, then you're miss missing that blessing that can come to you. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor, for a word in season. And since that word comes to let us know, God came that you and I may have life and may have it in the fullness that we may flourish. So if you have not received Jesus Christ today, as your Lord and Savior, I'm talking to you. If you haven't embraced the riches of his glory and his generosity, I'm talking to you. If you have not experienced how God can reach in 
a time of crisis and bring you out of it victoriously. I'm speaking to you. Today is a great time for you to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you have not made that decision, I'm offering you an invitation. And I'm saying right now, make up in your mind because I know that word you've heard today has been spirit and it's been light. Because the entrance of the word of God gives us light. We have light now on our giving, what the tithe is all about. And I'm a personal example. When I give, it's given back to me in a good measure. And he presses it down and causes it to run over. So today, if you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to see your hand. Those of you who are listening by way of internet, no, I cannot see your hand, but God does. And I want you, those who are here in the auditorium, to just raise your hand and say, today, I want to make a decision and acknowledge and accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Can I see your hands throughout the building? Praise God. I don't see a hand. I don't know if the lights are causing a blur. But nevertheless, I'm going to take that as whether or not you have received Jesus or you are already on your way to glory. And Jesus is Lord of your life. I just want you to just stand to your feet and just repeat after me. Everyone in the building. Just repeat after me. Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus I thank you. For this day. Being. My Lord. And my Savior. My King. And my Deliverer. My hope in time of distress and above all the lifter of my head god bless you pastor now if you pray that prayer from your living room your dining room wherever it may be there's information on the screen to direct you with some next steps You've got a family here that loves you and will be praying for you. In fact, there's a prayer team of over 800 people every morning gathering at 6 a.m. to pray for you. Every morning, Monday through Friday. So, you need to find a church. Get into that church. You need to be in community so that you can grow and develop relationships that share the value of the kingdom of God and the Lordship of Christ. Amen. Were you blessed today? Come on, give God a good hand clap offering. Let me tell you something. Whether they're religious or not, successful people have certain characteristics. And one of them is generosity and philanthropy. You'll find that successful people are generous. They tend to, tend to be generous and philanthropic. Amen? So, do I have to qualify that? You get the hint, right? All right. And God blesses our generosity. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give God another hand clap offering. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for simplicity and clarity so that we can walk in faith, not fear, not bondage, not legalism, but in the power of faith. 
And your word teaches us that we walk by faith and not by sight. And the just shall live by faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes all opposition, all deficiency. Thank you for the faith that you've given us as the key to unlock the power of heaven. We bless you today. We love you today. We love your righteous cause today. And we thank you for inviting us to be a part of your work in the earth. Bless us now as we leave this place, but never God's presence. And we say, Jesus is Lord, period. We believe it, we proclaim it, and we're seeing it come to pass. God bless you. I love you. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. Thanks for tuning in to the A.R. Bernard Podcast. I hope you were enriched by the information and or the conversation. Make sure subscribe by clicking the link in the bio to gain more information about me and the work that I'm doing. Again, thank you and God bless. Thank you.